You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Dean Ornish. And Dean has been pretty famous in the uh, diet, health, and lifestyle world for a long time, probably as long as I've been alive is my guess, but um, he's a multiple-time author. Uh, he has a new book out called Undo It. Uh, he's directed anti-aging research. Uh, he's just been involved, like I said, in health and wellness for many, many, many years. So, uh, Dr. Ornish, thank you for coming. Thanks for your interest. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, if you don't mind going back in time, what started your interest in health and your health journey? Oh, gosh. Well, um, when I was in medical school, I was learning how to do bypass surgery with Dr. Michael DeBakey, one of the pioneers who invented the operation. And at first, it was you know fun and exciting to expose a beating heart. There's kind of an Aztec priest quality to the whole thing. Um, but it was ultimately disheartening in every sense of the word because we'd cut people open. We'd bypass their clogged arteries. He'd tell them they were cured. And more often than not, they'd go home and do all the things that had caused the problem in the first place. You know, eat junk food, smoke cigarettes, not manage stress, not exercise. And often their new bypasses would clog up and we'd have to cut them open again, sometimes multiple times. So for me, bypass surgery became a a metaphor of an incomplete approach. We were literally bypassing the problem without also treating the cause. And I wonder what would happen if we treated the cause, if we, which are really, to a large degree, the lifestyle choices that we make each day. And in a series of studies, we were able to prove for the first time that even severe heart disease could actually be reversed. Instead of the arteries getting more and more clogged over time, they got less and less clogged. And the chest pain went away to most people. And they were able to often reduce or get off of medications that they were told they would have to take under their doctor's supervision for the rest of their life. And so over time, we found that these same lifestyle changes that could reverse heart disease, which we publish in all the leading peer-reviewed medical and scientific journals, would also reverse high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity, uh, early stage prostate cancer, would change your genes, turn on the good genes, turn off the bad genes, could lengthen telomeres and reverse aging at a cellular level. And so the more diseases we studied and the more mechanisms we looked at, the more evidence we had to show that these same simple lifestyle changes, which really are a whole foods plant-based diet that's low in fat and sugar, moderate exercise, stress management techniques, including meditation and yoga, and what we call psychosocial support or community, which is really love and intimacy, or to reduce it even further to eat well, move more, stress less, and love more, (laughs) that these same simple changes could reverse all of these different conditions. And so I present this radical unifying theory in my new book, in the Undo It book, that these are really, the reason why these same lifestyle changes can reverse so many different conditions is that they're really the same disease manifesting and masquerading in different forms. And, you know, when I was in medical school, I was taught that all these diseases had different diagnoses and different treatments, but because they all share the same underlying biological mechanisms, I came to realize that they're really the same disease, really just masquerading, as I say, in different forms. 
And that radically simplifies what people need to do. And the more diseases we study and the more mechanisms we look at, the more scientific evidence we have to show how quickly people can get better in ways we can measure and how quickly they can feel better in ways that really matter to them. So quick question here, what, what is disease to you? I mean, I'm sure your perception of what disease means has changed a lot over the years. What is disease in your opinion? It sounds like a simple question. I don't think it is. Well, it depends. I mean, we can talk, talk about a different level. Diseases are the ones we've been talking about, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, diabetes, prostate cancer, et cetera. But also, it's literally dis-ease that, you know, most people are born with a state of being healthy and, and happy and peaceful. They're born easeful. And then over time, we disturb that, and we literally get dis-ease. We disturb our own inner sense of ease and well-being. And then the question is, what do we do that disturbs that, and how can we stop doing that? And it turns out that what we eat, how we respond to stress, how much exercise we get, and how much love and support really are the key factors in what disturbs that or, or heals us for better and for worse. And how quickly we can get better or worse when we make these, these changes. And so often people think that I have to get something outside of myself in order to be happy and healthy. You know, if only I had more whatever, more money, more power, more beauty, more accomplishment, more whatever, then I'd be happy. Then people would love me. Then I wouldn't feel so lonely and isolated. And once you set up that view of the world, until you get it, you feel stress. If someone else gets it and you don't, then you feel really stressed. And even if you get it, it's seductive in the moment. It feels like, ah, this is great. Now I'm happy. But it usually doesn't last. It's usually soon followed by either now what, it's never enough, or so what, big deal. It doesn't really provide that lasting sense of meaning. And so the cycle continues. And so the idea is that our whole culture, our whole advertising industry teaches us that our peace of mind, our ease, our well-being, our health are things that we get from outside of ourselves. And what I'm saying in this book is actually we have that already until we disturb it. And ironically, and perhaps the, the ultimate irony, not being aware that we have that sense of ease already, we often run after all these things, if only I had more money or power or whatever. And in the process, we disturb what we could have already if we just stopped doing that. And I learned that years ago from a spiritual teacher named Swami Sachidananda, who liked to make puns. And people would say, what are you, a Hindu? He'd say, no, I'm an undo, you know, which is part of why I call the book Undo It, besides the fact that my favorite key on the keyboard has always been the undo button. I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could you know, had an undo button in our lives. And I think to a much larger degree than we realize now we do. Yeah, I've spoken to hundreds of people, clinicians and or scientists, and I've asked them about diet. And I've heard a lot of them say, oh, I don't think diet has any relevance. Either. I don't think diet affects this condition. I mean, I mean, this is obvious when I think about it. But, you know, let's say we live for 80 years. The only inputs to our body where the major inputs are food, water, air. How could that not affect us, our physiology? How could that not be the main driver of what we are? Well, it's, you know, it's because it is. And, and you know, unfortunately, the average doctor, we get four hours of nutrition training a year, and the average cardiologist gets zero. So we don't learn about these things in medicine. We're trained to use drugs in surgery. We're reimbursed to use drugs in surgery, and that's what most people do. That's why I spent 16 years working with Medicare, to get Medicare to cover my program for reversing heart disease, which they've done. And through a company called ShareCare, we've been training hospitals and clinics and physician groups around the country. If you go to our website, which is ornish.com, it lists the sites that we've trained. And they'll, Medicare and most insurance companies will pay for 72 hours of training. But the reason why I spend so much time doing science is that science is a way to prove what's true and what isn't. And we've shown that these same lifestyle changes can actually reverse the most of the progression of the most common chronic diseases. You know, when people get put on medication to lower their cholesterol and their blood pressure and their blood sugar, and they say, doctor, how long do I have to take these? The doctor usually says, forever. It's like, you know, 
I show sometimes when I lecture a cartoon of doctors busily mopping up the floor and the sink that's overflowing. It's like, how long do I have to mop up the floor? Like forever. Well, why don't we just turn off the faucet? And the faucet is to a much larger degree than when we had once appreciated are these lifestyle choices we make each day. And that our bodies often have a remarkable capacity to begin healing and much more quickly than we had once realized if we can treat the cause, these lifestyle choices. And so under people's uh, personal physician supervision, many people can reduce or get off of these medications that they were told they'd have to take for the rest of their lives when they can treat the underlying cause. Otherwise, it's just like, you know, like I say, mopping up the floor without turning off the faucet. You know, the, the problem just keeps coming back in the same form or in a different form. So, um, what's a, I don't know, these may be outliers, these may be commonplace. I don't know. What are some of the most amazing transformations you've seen from proper diets and, uh, and all the other associated things? You know, what, what, what kind of horrible conditions have you seen that have been reversed or at least improved or mitigated by well, doing the reason, this program? Well, the reason Medicare is paying for my program is that it works. You know, most people who have heart disease, you know, people who literally can't walk across the street without getting severe chest pain or angina, they can't make love with their spouse or play with their kids or, you know, uh, go back to work without getting chest pain. Within usually three weeks or so, they're essentially pain-free. There's a 91% reduction in the frequency of chest pain in just a few weeks. Um, we actually have several patients, one of whom I wrote about in Chapter 1 of my new book and the Undo It book, who had, who's a doctor himself who was very skeptical and had such bad heart disease from having a massive heart attack that he was told the only thing that could keep him alive would be to get a new heart, to have a heart transplant. And while waiting for a donor, he went through my reversing heart disease program at UCLA and he, to get in better shape for the heart transplant. And he actually, his heart got so much better in just nine weeks, he didn't need the heart transplant anymore. So it's like, wow. well, what's the more radical intervention here? You know, a heart transplant, which costs a million and a half dollars, or eat well, mm -hmm. move more, stress less, love more, and where the only side effects are good ones. Yeah, that's true. Are there, are there conditions you've seen that are um, stubborn to this kind of program? And if so, what's the reason? Well, nothing works all the time for everyone, but we found that most diseases, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, severe heart disease, early stage prostate cancer, and so on, can be slowed, stopped, and usually reversed when people make big enough changes. It's a, it takes a lot to reverse a chronic disease. It's the pound of cure. It's why we were the first to prove that we could reverse most of these conditions, is that most people didn't go far enough. But um, for staying healthy, you don't have to make such big changes, but to reverse it, you do. And we're now doing the first, in the middle of the first randomized controlled trial to see if these same lifestyle changes uh, can reverse the progression of men and women who have early stage Alzheimer's disease. So if listeners are living in the San Francisco Bay Area, we're still recruiting patients. Just go to our website, ornish.com, and there's a link there to show how you can uh, see if you're eligible for the study. Uh, it's too soon to say anything, but they're the, you know, there are no good effective drugs for either treating or for preventing Alzheimer's. So if we can show we can reverse it, which I'm hoping we can show, the less intensive interventions have been shown to slow the rate of progression, just like 40 years ago, the less intensive interventions could slow the rate of heart disease. Back then, we found the more intensive intervention could actually reverse it, and we're hoping we can show that with Alzheimer's as well, so stay tuned. Are there tweaks to the program, depending on the person's condition or age or state? You know, I thought when I began doing this work that the younger patients who had less severe disease would do better, but it turns out I was wrong, fortunately. It wasn't how old or how sick people were. The more you change, the more you improve at any age. It's a very um, empowering message to give people. So um, some people, like I say, I mean, have, there, there are genetic predispositions. You know, if your mother and your father and sister and brother both died of, all died of heart disease, 
you're more likely to get it. But if you're willing to make big enough changes, most people can not, can prevent it and even reverse it. And you mentioned um, one of the characteristics is plant-based, you know, low-fat. Um, what what are your thoughts on the people that talk about ketogenic eating, the carnivore diet, things like that? Well, you know, I, I debated Dr. Atkins many times before he died, and he died of bad, massive heart failure. Um, you know, he was a low-carb guy. I was, ended up being the low-fat guy. It's never just been about low-fat. It's really a, a plant-based diet. It's fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, and so on. And if you look at the, there was an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that I reproduced in my new book that shows what happens in your arteries on different diets. And the Atkins diet, the ketogenic diet, the paleo diet, they're really just the same diet in different forms. And they all are based on a half-truth, which is that most Americans eat too many refined carbs, too much sugar and white flour and things like that. And if you eat less of those, you're going to be better off and lose weight. But it's what you replace it with that becomes important. And if you replace it with fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes in their natural form, that's great. If you replace it with, you know, grass-fed beef and pork rinds and bacon and sausage, that's not great. And that's going to cause your arteries to get severely clogged, even if you lose weight on those diets. Whereas if you go on, a, on the diet that I recommend, you'll lose e- as much or even more weight, but you're enhancing your health rather than mortgaging it. And it, we need to get past this whole fat versus carbs debate. Um, it turns out that animal protein itself is harmful, and people eat a lot of animal protein have 75% increased risk of premature death from all causes, and a 400 to 500% increased risk of premature death from heart disease, from type 2 diabetes, and from the most common forms of cancer. So there's more evidence than ever showing that an optimal diet is actually low in refined carbs, like an Atkins or paleo diet, but high in the good carbs, and the fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and so on, that have plenty of protein and have lots of substances that have anti-cancer, anti-heart disease, and anti-aging properties. So studies show when you go from a meat-based diet to a plant-based diet, you're getting a double benefit. You're not only reducing the things that cause you to get sick, but you're getting hundreds of thousands of others that are protective. There's a new film that that will come out um, um, soon called The Game Changers that uh, James Cameron and Luis Hoyos and others did that follows and shows that elite athletes who went on plant-based diets raised their game and became mixed martial artists, national champions, and Olympic medalists, and the NFL Titans won their first playoff game in 15 years, and so on, to show your sexual function improves. So it shows that there's so many myths about eating a plant-based diet that you're a wimp and you don't get enough protein. Uh, Even Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, is on there saying, you know what makes you a strong body? It's plants, not meat. Uh, You know, the, the, the elephant and the oxen, get their protein from plants, you know, um, you go back to the source and you can become even stronger. Again, I'm not everybody. I'm not, you know, I haven't seen all the studies, but I've seen studies that say that support what you're saying, but when it comes to meat, I haven't seen studies that try to tease apart, you know, lots of protein, lots of meat that's non-grass fed that may have hormones and antibiotics in it. And then grass fed, you know, natural stuff without hormones, without antibiotics. Have you seen any studies that really have separated these out or meat with sugar, meat without sugar? I haven't seen yeah. like a really careful dissection. So I wonder if there's confounding factors in this. Well, there are. I mean, I think probably all things being equal, grass-fed beef is better than, than uh, antibiotic-treated beef, you know, for lots of reasons, not the least of which is you're more likely to get uh, antibiotic residues when you eat those meats, which can cause resistance. But there's a great scene in the Game Changers film that I, I, I think will really wake a lot of people up, where they gave these three elite athletes, who are in their mid-20s, so they're obviously really physically healthy, 
they gave them either a meat-based meal, which was organic chicken or pork or grass-fed beef without antibiotics or sugar. And then they measured the frequency and hardness of erections they got at night when they slept, which is a normal guy function. And the next day, they gave them a single plant-based meal, just one meal. And they did the same thing. And they found that after the plant-based meal, compared to the organic and grass-fed beef meal, these all three guys had 300 to 500% more frequent erections and 8 to 15% harder erections after one meal. And other studies have shown that you're, you know, even a single meal affects blood flow to your brain. You know, your brain can actually grow so many new brain neurons. It can be measurably bigger when people go on a, a plant-based diet and exercise and so on. Your skin gets more blood. Your, you look younger. Your, your uh, heart gets more blood flow. You, you know, you can reverse heart disease, we showed for the first time. Your sexual organs get more blood flow. It's a diffuse process because your arteries are less clogged throughout your body. Your endothelium, the lining of the artery, is very responsive and minute-to-minute changes and how dilated or contracted your arteries are. The narrator all the way through this Game Changers film was, was the mixed martial artist national champion who realized that the ancient Roman gladiators actually ate a plant-based diet because it, it, you know their lives depended on it. And so, yes, hmm. there's a lot of evidence out there showing that an optimal diet is really a whole foods plant-based diet. And when you say plant-based, um, is vegetarianism going too far? Is veganism going too far? Or does that all fall under plant-based? Uh, those those are different types of plant-based diets. The you know think about the ounce of prevention and the pound of cure. You know our work was able to show for the first time that we could actually reverse these different chronic diseases. But that's essentially a vegan diet. It's yeah, there's very little if any animal protein at all. If you're just trying to stay healthy, lose a few pounds, get your cholesterol down, whatever. I wrote an earlier book that was based on the finding in all of our studies that the more you change, the more you improve at any age, as we talked about a few minutes ago. And so if you're just trying to you know, stay healthy and lose a few pounds, to the degree that you can move towards a plant-based diet, you're going to have a corresponding benefit. You're going to look better, feel better, lose weight, and gain health. But if you're actually trying to reverse a life-threatening condition, that's the pound of cure, which is what the Undo It book is about. It takes a lot more to do that. And, and, and that's why we were the first to prove that is because most people didn't go far enough to actually reverse it. So going far enough uh, could be veganism, or is there a different... Uh, flavor or mixture of uh, things that you should eat? I mean, what's ideal to you? I know it's different for everybody, but as best yeah, as, you're, as close you're, as you can come, what's ideal? If you're trying to reverse a life-threatening condition, to the degree you can move towards a vegan diet, but it's not just a diet. Again, it's a, an hour a day of uh, meditation and yoga, a half hour a day of some kind of exercise, like walking half an hour a day, and the social support, the love more part. You know, eat well, move more, stress less, love more, the four components. You know, study after study has shown that people who are lonely and depressed, which I think is the real, the real epidemic in our culture, people who are lonely and depressed are three to ten times more likely to get sick and die prematurely from virtually all causes when compared to those who have a sense of love and connection and community. And I don't know anything in medicine that has that big an impact. And so, yeah, diet is important, but the entire program is important. And, and the reason why I present this unifying theory that these are all the same disease manifesting in different forms is that they all share the same underlying biological mechanisms, things like chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, overstimulation of the parasympathetic nervous system, changes in the microbiome and telomeres and gene expression and angiogenesis and so on. And each one of these mechanisms in turn is directly influenced by what we eat, how we respond to stress, how much exercise we get, and how much love and support we have. So what's the, uh, what's the future of your knowledge, what what needs to be done to really make an impact on people? Because it, 
Yeah, I'm one of them. I mean, it just seems like people are uh, getting tremendously overweight and the incidences of cancer and all kinds of other diseases, autoimmune and food sensitivities and everything is on the rise tremendously. I mean, what, what do people do? Well, this is what they do. And that's why I'm grateful to be on your show is that, you know, I've seen what a powerful difference these simple changes can make. I mean, one of the biggest obstacles I find is people think, oh, diet and lifestyle, that's kind of boring. You know, how powerful could that be? And I think our unique contribution has been to use these very high-tech, expensive, state-of-the-art scientific measures to prove how powerful these very simple and low-tech and low-cost interventions can be. And the more diseases we study, all the ones you mentioned, for example, the more scientific evidence we have to show we can actually reverse and prevent them. And you're right, people are getting you know, fatter and more sick than ever, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that's why I'm so passionate about doing this work is, you know, so much of this is avoidable. You know, when people get put on medication to lower their cholesterol or their blood pressure or their blood sugar, and they say, doctor, how long do I have to take these? The doctor usually says forever. And yet, if you really make big enough changes in your lifestyle under your doctor's supervision, most people can wean off these many, if not all of these medications, and they can feel better. You know, 70% of the population in the U.S. is overweight or obese. Uh, we're, you know, half the population is diabetic or pre-diabetic, and yet in most people, it's completely preventable today if people were to make the simple lifestyle changes that we talk about here. You know, the AARP has the largest circulation magazine in the country. It's 32 million subscribers, and every year they have a breakthroughs issue in October, on, and it's usually the latest high-tech device or drug or surgical procedure. And this year, they're focusing on our lifestyle program because they're realizing that you know, at the same time that these studies are showing that, you know, bypasses and stents and angioplasties and, and so on really don't work in stable patients, lifestyle changes do. And we're now in the middle of doing the first randomized trial, as I mentioned, to see if we can reverse the progression of early stage Alzheimer's. There are no effective drugs for either treating it or for preventing it. And yet I think we're at a place with Alzheimer's very similar to where we were with heart disease 40 years ago, that it's the same mechanisms that cause Alzheimer's that cause these other chronic diseases. Less intensive lifestyle interventions have shown, been shown to slow the rate of progression at which you get worse. We're hoping that a more intensive intervention may actually begin to reverse it. And, um, and if we do, then if we can reverse it, then we can prevent it. And, you know, people are more afraid of Alzheimer's than any other disease because when you lose your memories, you lose everything. And as the yeah. population ages, it becomes more and more of a problem for people. And many people don't even want to know if they're at risk for it because, like, why would I want to know if I'm at risk for something if I can't do something about it? And now we're finding that we, we're hoping, at least, that we'll be able to show that we can uh, reverse it, which would be a real breakthrough, at least in some people. You should joke and tell people you're 300 years old. You know, that would, that would make an impact. <laughs> Look at you. You're doing good. Yeah, exactly. I usually say, hey, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 96. I look pretty good. I look a day over 95, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what are the things that make it difficult, you know, that cause people to give up and fail and not adhere to these, you know, to your methodology, for instance? Well, we've learned that um, most doctors think that, you know, I can get my patients to take their pills, but there's no way they're going to change their lifestyle. And yet most people are not taking their pills. You know, half to two thirds of people who are prescribed statin drugs like Lipitor to lower their cholesterol are not taking them after just three or four months. And 20 to 25% of the prescriptions never even get filled, even though they're of benefit in people who have heart disease. And the reason is I've learned that information is not enough to motivate most people to make lasting changes in their lifestyle. I mean, if it were, nobody would smoke. It's not like, you know, people go, oh, I didn't know smoking is bad for me. I'll quit today. It's on every package of cigarettes. So I'd ask people, like, why do you smoke? Why do you overeat? Why do you drink too much? Why do you abuse opioids? Why do you, you know, play so many video games? These behaviors seem so maladaptive to me. And they look at me and they say, 
you don't get it, Dean. These behaviors aren't maladaptive. They're very adaptive because they help us deal with our loneliness, our pain, our depression, which I think is the real epidemic in our culture with the, the breakdown of the social networks that used to give people a sense of love and connection and community. Like, you know, 50 years ago, most people had an extended family they saw regularly or a neighborhood with two or three generations of people that grew up together or a job that felt secure that you've been at for 10 years or more where you get to know your coworkers or a, a church or a synagogue or a mosque or a club that you went to regularly. And many people today don't have any of those. Things. And we're learning, as I mentioned, that people who are lonely and depressed are three to 10 times more likely to get sick and die prematurely. And partly because these behaviors in some ways may seem maladaptive, Patients would say things to me like, you know, I've got 20 friends in this pack of cigarettes, and they're always there for me, and nobody else is. You're going to take away my 20 friends? What are you going to give me? Or they'll say, food fills that void, or fat coats my nerves and numbs the pain, or we have an opioid epidemic, that numbs the pain, or alcohol or other drugs numb the pain, or video games distract ourselves from the pain, or working all the time is another way of doing that. And so I've just learned that information is important, but it's not usually enough, and Focusing on behavior is important, but it's not usually enough. But when we help people focus on changing their diet and lifestyle, they start to feel so much better so quickly, and they start to connect the dots between what they do and how they feel. It's like, oh, when I eat this way, when I meditate, when I exercise, when I love more, I feel good. My pain goes away. I, I have better sex. I can think more clearly. I have more energy. I can accomplish more. You know, when I do this, I don't feel so good. So let me do more of this and less of that. And then it comes from their own experience because, again, these biological mechanisms are so dynamic, it doesn't take very long to feel better if you make big enough changes. And so the irony and the paradox is that in some times it's actually easier to make big changes in lifestyle than it is to take a pill because the pill doesn't make you feel better, but the lifestyle changes do. And fear of dying, you know, taking a pill to prevent something bad from happening years down the road is really not sustainable. But if what you get is more than what you give up, and because these lifestyle changes affect our, these mechanisms so quickly, most people feel so much better so quickly in the ways that really matter most to them, then what they gain is more than what they give up and, they, and how quickly, within hours, they can experience the benefits, that makes it really sustainable. And that's why in the hospitals and clinics and physician groups we've trained around the country, we're getting bigger changes in lifestyle, better clinical outcomes, bigger cost savings, and better adherence than anyone's ever shown before. Um, you know, people are social creatures, so maybe what about Ornish clubs establishing <laughs> them all over the world? No, seriously, where people get together so they're not alone and they can share experiences and literally do things together. Maybe that's what would be a, a good add-on to the program or get to a lot more widespread adoption of it. Just I agree with you. Know. you. I mean, that's why in our in our programs, you know, that's why I spent uh, 15 years, uh, 16 years to get Medicare to cover it. And when they finish their 72 hours, they continue to meet amongst themselves, sometimes virtually using Zoom and so on. Because when you form these bonds with other people, it's so meaningful. You know, most people want to continue them way beyond when the study itself ends or the program itself ends. So, yeah, I agree with you. We need the Ornish potluck club, but <laughs> not so potluck when they bring good food, you know. Something like that. Well, so... All the work you've done over all the years, I mean, do you, do you see that you're making a bigger and bigger impact or are there are forces that are keeping you in the same spot or pushing you back? Like, what's your overall perception of, of house progress? Well, there are forces. You know, this program has something to threaten, you know, the, the drug companies, the, you know, the medical industry, industrial complex, you know, the 
dairy, meat, and egg industries, and so on, you know, there's a lot of resistance to it. But I think there's a convergence of forces that after four decades make it the right idea at the right time. And it's very encouraging to me. On the one hand, there's more evidence that the conventional drugs and surgery really don't work nearly as well as most people thought. As I mentioned, you know, there are 10, uh, I mean, excuse me, there are um, eight randomized trials of stents that has shown that stents and angioplasties don't prolong life, don't prevent heart attacks, and don't reduce chest pain. Men and men who have early stage prostate cancer, there are two 10-year studies in the New England Journal of Medicine showing that they don't, um, that those who had surgery and radiation don't live longer than than those who don't, and they and yet the complications of those operations, often people will get maimed in the most personal ways with either becoming impotent or incontinent or both for no real benefit at huge economic and personal costs. Maybe one out of 50 men actually benefits from the surgery or the radiation. In the case of type 2 diabetes, which, as I mentioned, half the population today is diabetic or pre-diabetic at a cost of $320 billion a year, um, that uh, getting your blood sugar down with drugs doesn't prevent the horrible complications of type 2 diabetes nearly as well as getting it down with diet and lifestyle. And we're also reaching a tipping point with healthcare costs because um, we spent of the 80 of the 3.6 trillion dollars that we spent last year on healthcare which is mostly sick care it turns out that 86% of that is for treating chronic diseases that can be largely prevented often prevented or even reversed by making simple lifestyle changes at a fraction of the cost and the only side effects are good ones 5% of people account for up to 80% of all healthcare costs and those are generally the ones who have chronic diseases so for all these reasons you know we found we could cut overall healthcare costs in half in the first year when people made these changes. And so for all these reasons, I think that there's a, there's a level of interest in our work that um, makes me very um, optimistic that things really are changing for the better. So this is like a, you know, it's a rhetorical softball, but I have to ask anybody, when is it too late for someone to improve their life and help themselves? Well, that's the nice thing is that um, as long as you're alive and stable, we found that the more you change, the more you improve at any age. So, um, you know, try it for yourself and you'll see. Yeah, and out of curiosity, do you have any, like, centenarians that have never given you feedback on the program or people in their 90s? Yeah, one of the people that showed the most improvement in our uh, reversing heart disease program was 86 when he started. And I thought, mm -hmm. wow, he may be too old. And he actually showed more reversal than anyone, but he was very disciplined and, and changed his lifestyle more than anyone. And he... Um, you know, he died at the uh, just you know shy of like when he was 99 and a half years old, whereas he was told that he wasn't going to live you know more than six months when he started. So um, you know, like I say, it's um, it's not just how long we live; it's also how well we live. And you know, what you want to do is to live as long as possible and then just die. You know, you don't want to just kind of wither away, which is what happens to most people in this culture: is you just get chronically ill over a period of years and years. And so you may live longer, but you're not really enjoying yourself. I mean, if you get chest pain, one guy in our study, um, you know, got 30, was taking 30 to 30 episodes, 30 uh, doses of nitroglycerin a day. He was having 30 episodes of chest pain a day. He couldn't do much of anything without chest pain. He couldn't walk across the street or make love with his wife or play with his kids or go back to work. His doctor said, I, you know, you shouldn't really talk to him and you shouldn't recruit him to be in your program because, you know, I don't think he's going to live more than six months. And, you know, he outlived his doctor. And that was... 30, 30, um, 33 years ago, you know, his doctor died in the meantime, you know, and he's still doing well. He's now 87 years old. So, you know, it's a man and, and doing well, you know, and not, he hasn't had any pain now in, 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 in years and years. So that's why I'm so passionate about doing this work. People think, again, 
how powerful could diet and lifestyle be? And it turns out really, really powerful. Yeah, we have yeah. actually oh. we have we have we have a dozen men and women who were so sick they were told they needed to have a heart transplant, and when they changed their lifestyle, they were able to avoid it. You know, that's how powerful these approaches can be. Oh, that's really cool. Those are, those are some great stories. Um, do you have any personal stories? Have you had any health issues that uh, you know your own work has helped you on? I mean, you know, I don't know if you want to disclose them, but or any, yeah, sure. you know, any stories that really uh, that hit you. you know? Well, that's how I got interested in doing this work in the first place. Was uh, I was suicidally depressed when I was in college. Um, I came very close to killing myself. That's that was my doorway. And when I and then I learned that these same approaches, which really helped me, you know, rediscover inner sources of peace and joy and well-being. Uh, later, when I went to medical school, I realized it could help a lot of other people too. And so that's really part of the other reason I'm so passionate about doing this work is I feel like, you know, that was my doorway. And when someone's suffering, there's an opportunity and an interest in change because, you know, change is hard. But if you're hurting enough, then the idea of change becomes more appealing. And then when you start to make these changes and you start to feel so much better so quickly and rediscover inner sources of peace and joy and well-being and, you know, you're, you don't need as much sleep and you're looking younger and your sexual function improves and your chest pain goes away or whatever it happens to be that's important to you or your athletic performance improves like in the Game Changers movie. Then you kind of look, I've, I've had so many people say things to me like, you know, having a heart attack was the best thing that ever happened to me. And the first time I heard that, I thought like, what are you nuts? And they'd say, no, that's what it took to get my attention to begin making these changes that have transformed my life to such a degree that I might not have ever done it otherwise. And so that's something is. Part of the opportunity is that we don't look for suffering, but sometimes there it is. But if we can help guide people when they're suffering to show them how they can use that as a, a doorway for transforming their lives, then it can be very powerful. And that's what brings meaning to my life. Well, that's great. This has been a, an inspiring conversation. So, you know, I want people listening to say, all right, well, how do we take that first step? So what do you recommend? Where should they start? Well, you know, they say the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single the first step. And that's why my wife and I wrote this book, The Undo It Book, is we try to radically simplify um, you know, what we're doing. I mean, Steve Jobs was one of my closest personal friends, and I learned from him. Really? You know, he, he would say things like, you know, I, I'm more proud of what I left out of the iPhone than what I put in it. In other words, if you really spend your whole life doing something, you can reduce it down to its essence. Eat well, move more, stress less, love more. It's all in the book here to radically simplify it and to show you the science behind it and how you can really incorporate this into your life. Okay, so the book, and then people should also go to the website, Ornish.com? The website, Ornish.com as well, sure, absolutely, and everything on there is free. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Dean, thank you for all that you do and your work for so many years and, uh, you know, changing people's lives. I appreciate you being here. Oh, you too, and to me, awareness is the first step in healing, so I'm deeply grateful to you for helping me share this with your listeners, and I hope that at least a few of them, it's been beneficial. Excellent. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. 
No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.